You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. Listen as I read Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. The scripture says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights or depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may be seated. Before I pray for you and really for myself, I want to invite you just to consider that when the church gathers, God gathers with us. The church is not a building, it's not an event, it's a people. And as the word of God is opened and proclaimed without apology, and as the word of God is sang and confessed, God gathers with his people to speak to us. And so my hope is that you will come with a posture that looks and feels like this, that you're saying, God, I expect to hear your voice this morning. I want to hear your voice this morning. And so I'm going to pray over us and pray for us right now. Let's pray. Well, Father, I just want to say thank you for your great love. You are better to us than we know. You're better than we imagine. You're kinder. You're more gentle. You're more beautiful. You're more satisfying. You're more holy and glorious in in all things than we could possibly hope for. And Lord, while those things are true, you love us. And that is an eternal love that will never change. Help us to believe that this morning. Help us to hear your voice and let it be the dominant voice that we hear over the the noise of our own uh, wrong views, over the noise of different narratives in our culture right now. Let us hear your truth and your voice speaking to us through the pages of Scripture today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we start off in the middle of a section, so the context is greater than what I can give you today. There's just so many rich truths here, but we find ourselves in chapter 8, verse 35 with this question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Salvation, or shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, nakedness, danger, the sword, and for your sake, uh, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You know, in the middle of this, we have to look back at what is really a series of four questions that Paul is concluding Romans 8 with. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who can condemn us? Now, who can separate us? It's such a wonderful thing when I hear this question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I can't help but go in my mind back to uh, my first trip to Cuba, sitting poolside in Havana as the team was gathered 
Before we went to uh, the place where we were going to be sharing the gospel that day, Mariel, this beautiful city in, in Cuba, uh, we gathered with the team. And who was on that team was a group of translators and a group of uh, people who were going to guide us through the city of Mariel. These people did not speak English. They were the members of a church that were going to be taking us into the neighborhoods to share the gospel. A lot of people on the trip had never shared the gospel in their life. But there they were being teamed up with a church worker and a translator. And as we were talking, this girl named Midales started to tell her story uh, about the song we sang at the opening of this uh, service. Uh, Nothing can separate, even if I ran away, your love never fails. And she starts to tell the story of a 15-year-old girl who had left Cuba on a raft, a little inner tube. Did you say that again? <laughs> I think that happens every week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and silence that. Uh, she got separated from the group that was escaping Cuba in a storm. And as the storm was bearing down on them in the middle of the ocean, as they were between Cuba and uh, Miami, she got separated because of the storm. And she said that as the waters were rising and falling, she remembered that song. The wind is strong and the water is deep, but I'm not alone here in these open seas. Your love never fails. She started singing that song. Nothing can separate us. Even if I ran away, even if it was on me, nothing will separate. And this girl, this teenage girl, began to scream out as she was alone in the ocean, didn't know which way was north, south, east, or west. She started to scream, God of Medallis, save me. She's rising and falling in a, in a tube. And she said that as she just kept singing and praying, that all of a sudden she could hear a boat that was coming. It was the Coast Guard that was coming and picked her up. And of course, they bring you back to Cuba if they catch you in the water like that. But she won a lottery to become an American citizen after that. She became a Christian on the water. Now, when she sings this song that we sang, nothing's going to separate me. Nothing. Your love's never going to change. She's thinking of the ocean that day. Friends, can you hear this? What will separate us? Who can condemn us? Who can bring a charge against us? Who in the world could ever get a wedge between me and my Savior? Because the previous verse says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Now, how am, how am I ever going to be separated from love of God while Jesus sits next to his Father, speaking to him for me and for you, for our comfort, for our good, for our faith to grow? That's what's happening in this passage. There's a doctrine we talk about now and then. It's called the doctrine of perseverance. And it's this. that It's, it's, it's what Chris said before. Long before there was an earth, long before there was any of this Garden of Eden, any of this wilderness travel, any of this, uh, the cross, all, long before all of that, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He marked you as an object of His grace. He knew the whole story, all of your failings, all of your victories, all of your regrets, everything you've ever been ashamed of. He knew it. He loved you. He saved you. He began a good work in you, Paul says, and he will see it through to the day of Christ Jesus. It's called the perseverance of the saints. And I want you to hear this. His love for you will never change. His grip will never fail. 
And what he began in you, he will see it through. You will persevere to the end. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of Christ. And that's why Paul says, I pray that you would have the power to comprehend the love of Christ. It's so vast and so good and so true and so real that it takes power to understand it. And you're going to need to believe that. Why? Because we live in a broken world where there is tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. You know, some of those words that he uses there are words that are like external pressures coming down on you or environmental struggles that you're facing. Then some of them are very personal, the sword or persecution. You're going to need to remember that in the midst of those terrible experiences, God's love will never fail. He will not give up on you. He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to go, well... You know, if I'd known what kind of knucklehead you were going to be or how hard-hearted you were going to be or defiant you would be, well, then I would have never marked you for affection. In the midst of tribulation, in the midst of difficulty, you'll be tempted to have this thought, well, maybe this is evidence that God doesn't love me. Maybe my, my current circumstances show that God is somehow neglected me, forgotten about me, or this somehow, this hurt in my life means that his love is just a cruel love. Well, no, it's not. Not based on everything that we've read here. His love is an attentive love, a good, enduring, personal love, and nothing will ever separate you from him. Paul quotes from Psalm chapter 44, you know, I've, I've been in a lot of uh, meetings with other pastors and other Christians over the years. No one ever quotes Psalm 44. Like when somebody's talking about, let me, you know, what are some of your favorite verses? It's, I, I've never been in one where somebody quoted from Psalm 44. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to read just a little bit from Psalm 44 because it's a, it's a unique psalm in that it, it, has a, uh, it has some hard truths in it. Psalm 44, written by the sons of Korah, priests, and says, Oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. When you drove people out of the land of the other nations, you planted them, you afflicted people for them, and not by their own sword did they end up in this land, nor did they use their own arms to save them, but it was your right hand, it was your arm. And you delighted in them. And now for me, I do not trust in my bow. I don't trust in my sword to save me. And God, we have boasted continually. We'll give thanks to your name forever. Now here's where you start to tune out and go, what are, not tune out, but go, what is he talking about? It says, but you have rejected us. You have disgraced us. You've not gone out with our armies You've not made us, or you have made us to turn back from our foe. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your ways. Yet you have broken us in the place of the jackals. You've covered us with shadows of death. 
If we had forgotten your name, our God, the name of our God, or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For you know all secrets of the heart. Now here's verse 22 where Paul quotes, Yet for your sake, we're killed all the day long. We were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now I want you to pause with me for a second. I want you to hear what lament sounds like. It's kind of foreign to our ears to hear someone pouring out with such raw energy a disappointment they have with God, a sense of, what are you doing? I mean, I've heard about your goodness. I've heard the stories of your goodness. And here we are, and we're walking with you, and we're doing what we know to do. And God, I feel like you've just absolutely crashed all my dreams on the floor. What are you doing? And for your sake, and this is critical, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. For, because of your name, we're regarded like sheep. You get, you get the picture, right? You're either, if you're a sheep, you're either too scared, too stupid, or too weak to do anything but participate in your own destruction. Because we've trusted in you, we're like sheep that have been led to the slaughter. And what does the psalmist say in verse 23? Awake! Why are you sleeping, O God? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why did you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? Our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Back to Romans 8. Paul says that when you live in a world that is filled with distress, persecution, sword, nakedness, famine, all of these things, and you're a Christian For the sake of God, you're going to walk into that looking like a sheep that's too stupid or dumb or scared to do anything but participate in your own destruction. Well, cheer up. You're like, man, why did I even come here this morning? It was like so discouraging. I brought a friend, you know, and and, and, man, all you're doing is... Am I describing a life of defeat and destruction? We're all, it's all just going to go bad? I mean, because that doesn't sound like the things you hear on the TV preaching, right? Like, sounds like you're going to be the head, not the tail. You're going to be the lender, not the borrower. And God's going to bring every dream you ever hoped of to pass. And th- like, that's a very different message from the New Testament. It's very different. What does Paul say right after that? No. This is not a life of defeat that ends in defeat. We are... And all these things more than conquerors through him who loved us. I just want you to stop with me and I want you to think about this. There is a defeat in your life that leads to the defeat of your self-reliance. It leads to the death of a dream that you hoped for and you held in your hand. And it was so close you had it. You had it in your hands. It was that close. And there's a defeat that when you face it, money doesn't fix it. You you tried money and you you didn't move the needle at all. You tried logic and logic wouldn't untangle the knot. 
And suddenly you look and the dream you dreamed and had in your hands is now in a million pieces in shards on the ground in front of you. And that dream is now dead. And you're in good company. You're in good company. Because in the death of that dream, that thing that is now broken in front of you, there is now the opportunity for something new to rise up out of those shards, rise up out of those ashes, something you would never dare to dream, you would never dare to hope for. It is a dream that is God himself. I want you to just think for a moment, Paul's saying that what's going to separate us from the love of God? All these other things like distress and tribulation and all that, you kind of go, man, that sounds really good. And then he starts quoting Psalm 44, and you go, what what are you doing here? That's like so jarring. It feels like you're saying that I'm going to come into uh, not a life of strength to strength climbing upward, but a life of defeat and defeat and defeat, and that I'm going to end up crashed on the floor. And so how do we navigate this? That's when Paul says, no, we're more than conquerors. It actually says we are hyper-conquerors meaning you are going to conquer with victory to spare. But this death thing that you're going to go through is scary. So just to do a, do a thought experiment with me, if you will. You get to time travel, and you get to go back to the first Good Friday. And you, you get there, and and, and you tell them, hey, I, I had to be here for the first Good Friday. Doors are locked. Jesus is dead. He's in the tomb. And there they are. And, and you time travel back to say, I had to be here for this moment to see the first Good Friday. And what would they say to you? What did you just call that? Good what? This isn't a Good Friday. This is the worst Friday in history. In case you didn't know what you were coming to, This is the worst Friday ever. When I left everything I knew three years ago to follow Jesus, this is what I was afraid. This this is the worst scenario that could have happened. He is now dead in a tomb. That door is locked because we don't want to be next. And everything I was hoping would happen is now dead in the tomb with him. And you're saying it's Good Friday. And I'm saying this is not Good Friday. From where they sit, all hope is lost and they're defeated. The, the dream they probably had was, well, if he's the Messiah and he's going to be the long-awaited one, the anointed of God, then pretty soon here, we're going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to rout the Romans. He's going to rout the religious establishment. And he's going to take his seat as the king of Israel and restore the kingdom to Israel. And I'm going to be right next to him. You can't help but think that would be a pretty sweet dream, wouldn't it? I mean, you were just a fisherman a couple years ago, and now you're seated, hopefully pretty close to the right and the left-hand side of this guy. I mean, you have left everything to follow him, and so your dream of what it means to follow him is including lots of really sweet things. Wealth and power and position and recognition and all of that are yours until he dies, And when he dies, he carries with him every one of the dreams I had that he would fulfill for me. And there is the brokenness 
that leads to life. There is the broken dream that as it breaks into all those pieces, I no longer try to stitch it back together. I just hunker down and go, God, I don't get it. And he says, I know you don't, but wait. Because every Easter is preceded by Good Friday. Every great life-giving truth that God gives you is usually preceded by something that broke and hurt. Something you were hoping for that just fell apart. And now God says, but that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of you. I get the final word on that broken day. I get the final word. And the thing you were hoping for that is now on the floor in pieces, don't worry about that because I will replace it with myself. See, Peter and his dream were too small. He couldn't have seen or understood that what he was letting go of and forced to let go of that day was nothing in comparison to what God was about to do. That Jesus would rise again on the third day, that he would not only give them victory uh, over sin and death, that he would stay with them every step of the way as they preached this gospel message. And 2,000 years later, what do we see? Everywhere the message of Jesus is gone, people get saved. Orphanages pop up. Hospitals pop up. The downcast are invited in. This is so much bigger than Peter's dream. And why does this matter today? Because we live in a world that will break us. It will absolutely take us and crumple us. It will leave us feeling like God doesn't know about us, doesn't care about us, obviously has neglected to give us what we hoped for, and God doesn't have any sense of how bad this hurts. And so how do I connect all of that? Because I know the stories of some of you that you have walked through the fire, you have walked through the valley, and you have tasted defeat. And what you are tempted to believe in that moment is that God doesn't love me. God has left me. God doesn't see me, doesn't understand the hurt that is in my heart. That's your temptation. God is just pulling away from you things that are smaller dreams than himself. My friend Mark Bergen, you'll hear Michael and I quote him often. We just love the man. He planted uh, a church in downtown Chicago he was from Seattle. He moved to Chicago to plant a church. He called it the Painted Door, which at one point was the name of this church, until we figured out that everybody in Georgetown thinks that's a paint-a-pot, or they think that that's a coffee house, and we thought, well, eh, maybe we want to change our name. So, but Mark had planted the Painted Door, and it just grew, and it was good, and Mark is a great preacher. And somewhere along the way, they started to face that one of their elders died at 30-something years old skin cancer. And, and he said that from there, man, we just really struggled. And then before I know it, we got sideways in our leadership. And before I know it, we could see that our church was really struggling. Our church probably wasn't going to make it. Now, there are a couple hundred people, and they're thriving. And he said, oh, I cried out to God. And I said, don't let it die. Don't let this die. He said, it was as if I had the fruit in my hand, and I'd taken a bite, and it was dripping down my beard. He said, I was enjoying a dream that I dreamed back in Seattle, and all of a sudden, I could see that it wasn't going to go. 
And I went in the night before we made the announcement to close the doors. I went and I sat down in our space and I, and I cried. I cried. And he wrote these words that night, and I want you to hear this. He said, we're all born dreamers, all of us. But every one of our dreams is only the shadow of the deepest longing of our souls. Where is God in the death of our dreams? He is as near as we've ever known Him. He is the only true dream. God doesn't simply know what it is to have a dream die. God is the dream who dies. God swallows up all of our dreams into himself and dies with them for us. He steps into the sorrow of our deepest losses, into the sorrow of the death of our dreams. He becomes the dead dream. And then, unlike any uh, unlike uh, every other dream that dies, when our truest dream, the dream that is the Lord Jesus himself, when he dies, death does not get the final word. Jesus rises from the ashes of the death of our dreams. The next time you find yourself standing before a heap of ashes of a dream that is crumbled before you, look carefully, stare deeply into those ashes. There, there is a Lord, there is a truer dream who lies there and prepares to rise. Where is God in the death of our dreams? He is conspiring to give us more than we ever dreamed of. I, I love that because so many times I find myself in this broken world with my broken perspective. I find myself going, God, do you even see what's happening right now? I'm laying down my life, I'm laying down my hopes, I'm, and, and you're not doing your part. Now, maybe some of you feel like you would never say that out loud. You'd never, well, okay, guess what? True lament means that you actually just lay it bare. God is not going to be surprised by your lament, by the rawness of your, he already knows that better than you do. And as you lay that stuff down in front of him and confess where you are and who you are, you meet him in brand new ways. And as your dream dies, he replaces it with something better, with himself, with what he will do. And that is how you get to verse 37. No, it's not a life of defeat that ends in defeat. It's a life where you find yourself led like a sheep to the slaughter, and God does something miraculous in the midst of that. We are more than conquerors, hyper-conquerors, conquerors with victory to spare because of Christ. He says, I am sure, I am absolutely certain of this, Paul says, that nothing will separate us, neither life nor death, Angels or rulers, things present, things to come, powers, nor height or depth. He's giving you all that he can aim at. Things that are created, things that are, or pardon me, things that are in front of you, things that are behind you. Heights and depth, lights and depths. And in case you missed it, he says, in case I missed anything else, he says these words, nor anything else that is created. So he's just captured it all, right? 
If it's created, then it's less than God. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the truth in the midst of our darkness that sometimes hides from us. We confess it, we believe it, but we don't really experience it. And so when the stress of life bears down on you, when the disappointments of daily struggles, inwardly and outwardly, when they lean in on us, these truths tend to vanish from our presence. And we go back to trusting in smaller things, money, personality, hard, gritty work, If I just maybe curl up in a ball long enough, this will go away. And God is using those sufferings, those difficulties to draw us out of that, that self-reliance into himself to be at work showing us who he really is. That's why we say Romans 8, as it comes to a conclusion, is the greatest chapter. It looks backwards. It looks forwards. It looks at your here and now, and it invites you to let go of self-reliance and trust in him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to this. Now, this is a seasoned apostle church planter saying these words. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Friends, as you walk into the struggles that are in front of you, don't do it alone. Don't do it by yourself, kind of cooking the numbers in your mind about how to get out of it or how you got into it. Come into the presence of the gathered church, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's gospel community. Come into that presence and say, I need you, God. I am wrestling. I feel I've received the sentence of death, the death of my dreams or the death of some hope that I have for my child. God, I need you to be involved in this and to straighten out this broken narrative of defeat in my life. And God, as you take my dreams, as they're shattered on the floor and you replace them with your dream, help me to believe in your goodness, your love, that I've not been separated from you. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. I want you to pray with me now.